0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. So good to see you this morning. My name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor at, at Vortex. We're just honored to be able to have you with us today. Um. Imagine with me that you and I were in the first century. That we lived around the time that Jesus began to emerge on the scene as a a religious teacher. And one day, while we were at work, Jesus showed up and gave an invitation That seemed appealing. He would have said something like, come and follow me. But that invitation wasn't as simple as just let me go meet with you for coffee. That invitation was to leave the life that we knew and to go and follow him. Giving up everything. Some of the men who responded to that invitation left families behind for a period of time. Wives, most likely with kids. Some of them literally abandoned their livelihood in the moment. But all of them began to follow Jesus. And we would have began to follow him. And that meant that when Jesus went to Capernaum, we went to Capernaum. When he went to Galilee, we went to Galilee. Wherever Jesus went, we went with him. We traveled with him. We watched what he did. And over the next few years, we would see Jesus do things we could not explain. There would be the time that thousands of people came. To hear him teach. And it got to be lunchtime. And I don't know if y'all have ever been around a, a bunch of hangry people, right? Just not fun. You, you're not going to keep their attention, right? And so Jesus took a small boy's lunch and performed a, a great miracle, multiplying it so that everyone there, thousands upon thousands of people, would eat off of that. Simple sacrifice. There would be times that we would see people that we had known our entire lives to be lame and paralyzed. Get up and walk because he said to. And as we approached Jerusalem. Three years into the journey, there would be this mounting tension between Jesus, who is now a a kind of central religious figure, a teacher of the scriptures that has garnered thousands of followers, and the religious establishment that was already present. You see, Jesus would confront them on multiple occasions. And as we approached Jerusalem, and the city was stirred, and Jesus would ride in, received like a king in our hearts, we would be thinking, it's about to be beatdown time. Jesus is going to show them who's boss. It's time. The moment is here. Something is about to happen. But that's when the story takes a shocking twist. See, this same crowd that on Sunday hailed him as a king would on Friday convict him to death. And because of their cries, because of these people, Jesus would be imprisoned and over the period of about 24 to 36 hours, he would be tried three times. Eventually, he would have been scourged, beaten to the point that he was a bloody, mangled mess. And Then as the Roman gover- governor, Pilate, would have, have worked to try to get himself out of the situation, he leveraged the crowd for the sentence and the crowd, the same crowd. That hailed him as a king shouted to crucify him. See, as the followers entered Jerusalem, I promise you that was not their plan for Jesus. Their thoughts about Jesus was that he was going to go and incite a riot. He was going to overthrow the government. He was going to change the establishment. But that's not how the story went. But the story is exactly what God wanted it to be. In 1 Peter 2, we find Peter writing about the death of Jesus, and he says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins to live for righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. Peter says that it was God's plan for Jesus to die because on the cross Jesus would carry the weight of the punishment for all of our sins our sins, our failures our shortcomings went to the cross with Jesus and in that verse Peter says something that we pointed out last week but I couldn't uh, go by this without saying it today he says this that in the cross There is an invitation for us too. And the invitation is for us to die. Life with God always begins with death. Look at what he said. He said that he died on the cross so that we might die. The cross of Jesus is an invitation to experience the same death that Jesus did. That's why Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We can identify with the crucifixion of Jesus in the same way that Jesus bore the punishment of our sins. We can be crucified to live a different way. But see, for many of us, the story of Jesus often ends right at that moment. I mean, think about his followers with me. His followers that enter Jerusalem thinking, all right, smackdown moment is about to happen. All right, the Royal Rumble is about to go down in Jerusalem. All right, no Stone Cold, Steve Austin, right, no Undertaker, just Jesus against the Pharisees. And the Pharisees won. At least it looked like they did. When Jesus was crucified, His followers ran. I mean, people who had been with Him for three years, who had watched Him do things that were inexplicable, people who saw Him, Performed miracles, signs, and wonders. Denied him multiple times in view of the cross. You see, if the story ends there, it's a rather sad story. If the story ends there, the, the point of the gospel is quite futile. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. If if the story ends there and we believe in Jesus, pity me. I mean, of the people in the world, we're to be pitied the most. But the story doesn't end there. You see, Jesus' body was to be laid uh, to rest in in a tomb, And, and typically they would prepare the bodies, but he died so close to sundown that they were not able to prepare his body for burial. It was against the custom to go there on Saturday, and so on Sunday morning, a small group of his believers went to prepare his body for burial when they got to the tomb, the stone that had been rolled in front of it to seal it, that had been guarded by Roman guard, had been removed. And his body was not in the grave, and he was alive. And in the resurrection of Jesus, in the same way, that we find an invitation in his death to die to ourselves. In the resurrection, we find an invitation to live. To live the life you were meant to live. Look what the Bible says as 1 Corinthians 15 continued but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man for as in adam the first to fail all die so in christ all will be made alive he's not dead He is alive. And the life that Jesus lived, the resurrection of Jesus, is an invitation for us to live the life God wants for us. So today what I want to do is I'm going to show you, as we kind of get into this, three moments that happen after the resurrection of Jesus and then I'm going to come back and show you how they mean something to us today. Y'all ready? Let's get going. The first moment is the, the moment where the news of the resurrection begins to spread. This is when this small group of women go to the tomb. They're there to prepare the body. But Jesus isn't there. Luke 24, as they stood there puzzled, as they stood there thinking, where is Jesus? Somebody stole stole his body. Something's happened. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them. And then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. And as they went back, they began to spread the news that Jesus had risen from the dead. That he was no longer in, entombed in a, in a borrowed tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. That Jesus now, now had, had walked out of that tomb. He was alive. And there were these moments that Scripture records that happens not too long after that. As a matter of fact, it's, it's just moments later, just hours later. After this moment, there's a group of Jesus' followers. Now, this is way before Facebook. You know, you can imagine if this had happened at Facebook, everybody would know just like right now. All right, so y'all get out of Facebook world and understand that there's a group of people traveling along the road. They've yet to hear this news. Jesus is risen. And all of a sudden, these are people who have followed Jesus, and somebody comes up to talk to them. It's Jesus himself. And they don't recognize it. And they ask Jesus, have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus that was crucified? And he then begins to walk through the scriptures and explain to them how all of the Bible pointed to Jesus being the eternal sacrifice for our sins. And then there's this moment that's recorded in Luke chapter 24 beginning in verse 31. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? They recognized him. Think about that with me. They had been walking with Jesus, somebody that they'd followed, and they didn't recognize him. And then all of a sudden, Eyes open, and they see it. See, from that point on, Jesus is going to start to interact with his followers. If you read the scriptures, I'm going to be honest with you, some of it's a little freaky. Jesus comes walking through the door at one point, all right? I mean, when you read that stuff, it's just like, wow, this is amazing. And there's this great moment where I kind of think like everybody was together having a party, right? Have you ever been the guy that was sent out for a beer run? like in the middle of a party, right? And, and, and you come back and your friends are going, hey, this happened, this thing, this, and they're going on and on about something that was awesome, and you're going, no way. Y'all don't know what you're talking about. There's no way that happened. Well, that happens with a guy named Thomas. Thomas is away from his friends, the followers of Jesus, when Jesus appears to them. And Thomas returns, and they say, hey, Jesus was here. He came. We got to see him. We got to touch him. We got to hug him. We got to love on him. And Thomas goes, y'all don't know what you're talking about. No way. Y'all just messing with me. I won't believe it until I can put my fingers in the scars in his hand. Then I'll believe it. The Bible records that just a few days later, Jesus Shows up again. John 20 records his interaction with Thomas beginning in verse 25. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, explain, explain, Thomas. In that moment, Jesus embraced Thomas, offered himself as proof. See, what I'd like to do is to kind of present three different categories, and I promise you that we're all in one of these. And I want to show you how those moments apply to us if we're going to understand what the resurrection means to us. You see, the resurrection is not just a historical fact. It's an experience that God has invited you to share in. The first kind of person that I want to talk to is today, if you're here and you're a doubter, you're the person that goes, man, that sounds amazing, but I don't know that I can buy into that. I mean, it's, it sounds amazing. It sounds awesome to think that this could be true. But I don't know if I can believe that. The first thing that I want to tell you is that the resurrection is an invitation to face your doubts. The resurrection is an invitation to face your doubts. I love how Jesus deals with Thomas. He doesn't scold him for not believing. He doesn't talk junk about him. He doesn't say, Thomas, I told you I was going to die. I told you I was going to come back to life. I told you days ago. He invites him to experience the proof, to face his doubts. See, I want to tell you something that the world won't tell you, and that's this, that truth is truth. We live in a world that will say things like this. If it's true for you, it's true. It's true to you. If I told you I had a pink jacket on right now, it's not true. And I'm stupid if I think I have a pink jacket on. Truth is true. And it's absolute. It's not based on your situation, your perspective. What's true is true. And the good thing about Jesus is that he's invited us to learn about the truth. And the resurrection is an invitation to face those doubts. Number two, if we're going to experience the resurrection, we have to accept that our doubts are often based more on our perspective than the truth. It's what we think, our conjecture, the way that we have implied, the way that we have perceived. Not what the facts are. That often leads to our doubts. And if we're going to face our doubts, we have to face the fact that they often originate out of our perspective. And the great thing is, number three in your notes, that there's a life that's better than the life you're living, and Jesus will prove it to you. Jesus will prove it to you. I mean, you might be the person that's sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't know that I can buy into this. I mean, this... This, like, loving your enemy, forgiving people that wrong you, giving generously kind of life. I don't know that I can buy into this. The Bible says things like, come, taste, and see. It says things like, give me a chance, and I'll prove it to you, and see if there won't be blessing upon blessing. Upon blessing, See, God has given you an invitation to face your doubts. And when you face your doubts, Jesus will prove to you that his life is better than any life you could write on your own. The second kind of person that I want to talk to is if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. You're the person that's here and you say, I've been following Jesus my whole life. I mean, I love him. I mean, I went to church, I got saved when I was a kid, I got baptized. I do devotions every single day, all right, in my quiet time in the morning. Don't mess with me in my quiet time. I'm going to get mad at you because I'm studying and loving on Jesus, right? That kind of person, right? You're a follower of Jesus. See, the odd thing about that moment when Jesus is walking along the road is that the men that he are t- he's talking to, have followed him. They've known him. They've identified with him. They've created a sort of identity in their own lives that's based on who Jesus is. But when the person of Jesus stands before him, they didn't recognize him at all. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, the resurrection is an invitation to truly know your Savior. To truly know your Savior. Not to know him in some kind of cerebral knowledge-based thing, but to know him in a day-to-day, moment-to-moment, experiential way that defines your life. Because I think far too many of us to think we've been following Jesus. If Jesus walked into the room, we'd miss him completely. It happened to a large group of people named the Pharisees who knew the Bible better than any of us, who observed the Bible more strictly than any of us. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, not only did they miss him, they crucified him and killed him. See, the thing that You need to understand about the life that God wants to give you is number two in your notes. The very thing that brought life in the past isn't necessarily the thing that God will use right now. You see, when you first came to know Jesus, it might have been that waking up, getting up, having your 30-minute devotion was just infusing your life with life. I mean, you were studying the scriptures, getting to know Jesus, and it was just a powerful time in each day. But after a while, what tends to happen is we stop doing that because it gives life, and we start doing that because it's what we do. I get up every day and have a devotion. That's what I do. And it's not always that God is going to continue to use the same thing to bring life. See, the invitation To experience the life of Jesus is an invitation to let him continue to transform you day in, day out in the next season, in the next season for the rest of our lives. And number three, we need to realize that bitterness from God's failures. Now, God doesn't fail, but we often think he has. Bitterness from God's failures often causes us to return to our old ways of life. Look at what happens to the disciples as they enter the the city of Jerusalem, thinking that Jesus is about to overthrow the government. If they, they think that God has, has something planned. It's going to be big and they're going to win, but they lose. And you know where Jesus finds them? Back at their old job. Doing the same things that he did when he first found them. They ran. And Bitterness in our lives, when we feel like God's failed us, will cause us to return to the same ways of living. Let me remind you of something that we learn about Saturday, the day in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. If it's not over, it's not over. And it's not over until God says it's over. Just because you're in the middle of a fight, just because you haven't seen the end yet, doesn't mean it's the story has ended. All right? The experience of the resurrection in our lives is an invitation to know him in those moments. And the last person that I'd like to talk to is a person that I would call a wonderer. You're the person that you're here today and you're not following Jesus. You know just in life right now, it's not an issue of whether it's right or wrong, it's just an issue of what you're doing with your life. Like I am not following God right now. And I would remind you of this one Simple truth. The resurrection is an invitation to stop looking for life where there's only death. The resurrection is an invitation to stop looking for life where there's only death. Think about those women who show up in the tomb and those two Mystical, angelic men show up, and they ask that great question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I think far too many of us in our lives have been looking for life in something that can only bring death. Let me just tell you today that if you're the person that's here, and you've defined your life by your job and how successful you are at your job, you'll never be successful enough. It'll always be empty and hollow and pointless. If you've defined yourself and your opinion of yourself by what someone else has said about you, you'll always live with a broken self-image because that is a place of death. If we look for life in a relationship, if we try to define our lives experientially by engaging in things that make us feel a certain way, give a certain high for this or for that, you're going to end up broken in the end because anything other than Jesus, is going to leave you dead. And we find that in the words of Jesus himself in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father. No one can get to God except through me. If you're wondering what the way is, the way is following Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he leads you. If you're wondering today, what is the truth? The truth is Jesus. It's him in a person, not in a statement, not in a formula. And if you're really wanting to experience life the way God intended for you, that life can only be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in John 11, beginning in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You can experience the resurrection of Jesus and it literally transforms eternity. Because it's not just a historical fact. It's something that you can live. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you are a gracious and loving God, a God who would bear on his own shoulders the weight of all of our failures, and that God, through your grace and mercy, through your great passion for us, you would give us a way to escape the death of our failures and experience the life that you want to give us. Now, many of us in this room today, God, we're not experiencing that. But we want it. So, God, in our hearts right now, for those of us who desire to follow you, God, would you please grace and mercy. Call us into right relationship with you today.